It's Monday evening. Time for some jazz. Hope you're ready for some unique artists as I introduce you to a couple of songs that perhaps you've never heard before. Perhaps you have. I don't know. Each individual is up to determine what they like and what they don't. I hope you like what I'm about to play for you this evening. I'm going to start the evening off with a classic from Freddie Hubbard. Uh, This was recorded in 1962 for the Blue Note label. From the album Ready for Freddie. This is Freddie Hubbard with Wayne Shorter, Bernard McKinney, McCoy Tyner, Art Davis, and Elvin Jones. This is one of his greatest known compositions. This is Crisis.
great Freddie Hubbard from his 1961 recording released in 1962, Ready for Freddie. That, of course, was the track known as Crisis, featuring the magnificent keyboard stylings of Mr. McCoy Tyner, who I have had the pleasure of witnessing live in concert at the Ottawa Jazz Fest. I never did get to see Freddie Hubbard, unfortunately. However, that particular song reminds me of an evening I spent in Paris with my dear friend Vanessa. We were at Le Caveau de Houchette, which is my favorite jazz club on planet Earth. If you ever have the opportunity to go to Paris, you need to go to Le Caveau de Houchette. It's at Saint Houchette Street. That's five, if you don't speak French. It's a legendary jazz and swing club, and they have swing dancing nightly. Live acts seven nights a week. COVID-19 notwithstanding, of course, as everything is currently closed, sadly. But they hope to rise again someday soon. Absolutely legendary place to see, see a live act. It's, it's rather cavernous in the uh, basement level where the stage is set up and is rumored to have uh, been a meeting place for the Templar Knights. It goes back to about 1130, 1140. So it's, uh, it's an old building in one of the older parts of Paris, directly across the Seine from Le Notre-Dame Cathedral. So when you are in Paris, if you ever have the chance to go, you absolutely must spend one evening at Le Caveau de Houchette. Now, the wonderful Freddie Hubbard passed away in 2008 at the very young age of 70. And I say the very young age of 70 because there's many jazz players that have lived on for much, much longer than that. He had some health problems towards the end of his life and uh, ultimately died of uh, cardiac arrest, as I understand. He kind of recorded with pretty much everyone in the business, and I mean in, in the entire music business. He was a bebop, hard bop, and post-bop stylist, but uh, he helped to form a new sort of genre of jazz throughout the 60s and 70s. He played with Ron Carter, George Benson, McCoy Tyner, of course, Herbie Hancock, Elton John, believe it or not, on the um, Elton John album Reg Strikes Back, released in 1988, I have that on vinyl here somewhere. He um, actually uh, he played on the uh, he played the trumpet and flugelhorn solos on the uh, track titled Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter's Part Two. So a very versatile player. I think he was the band leader on at least 40 albums, dating back from 1960 right up until uh, 2007, a year before he passed away. As a sideman, oh my goodness gracious, the, the list of recordings that he's on, well over 60. The man toured the world and played and influenced millions. Oh, did you know that he also played on a lot of pop records? I know I just told you about the Elton John one, but he also had uh, played with Elvin Jones 
And, oh, this other little piano player, maybe you've heard of him, uh, Billy Joel? Yeah, so he's a very influential individual. Mr. Freddie Hubbard. Um, he was born in 1938 in Indianapolis, Indiana, and uh, growing up he started to play the mellophone and eventually moved on to the trumpet in his uh, high school band in Indianapolis, Indiana. He went on to study music at Butler University and uh, studied also at the Arthur Jordan Conservatory of Music. So he's well, well accomplished individual, and I understand that he he uh, worked as a trumpeter for the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra for a time. So incredibly accomplished individual and a very influential player who, sadly, as I said, left us uh, far too young. Cause seventy, it, who's kidding? Who? It's quite young, especially when. I'm 52, that's only 18 years away, and believe me, the year 2000 only feels like last week to me. And whenever you mention, well, 1980, that was only 20 years ago, and then you realize, no, that was 40 years ago. Well, you realize how quickly time does pass. Okay, let's change it up just a little bit. I want to play a song from... Um, another artist who left us far too young. He was only 73 when he passed away in 2003. Herbie Mann, original name, well, it was a stage name, but his, his uh, birth name was Herbie, Herbert, sorry, Herbert J. Solomon. Originally from Brooklyn, New York. Uh, he was, his style of jazz was a combination of jazz, bossa nova, disco, and some world music thrown in there, too. Played, he was a flautist, a saxophonist, and played the bass clarinet. He recorded for 50 years, from 1953 up until his death in 2003. He was active the entire time. An absolutely visionary player. And this particular recording um, was released in uh, 70. So this is 50 years ago. Please enjoy Coming Home Baby from Mr. Herbie Mann.
Freebie off his 1970 release, The Best of Herbie Man. It's not actually known when that was recorded. It could have been in the late 60s to the very early 70s, but there's no actual date listed on any of the recordings available, so we're going to guess around 1970. That, of course, is a live version recorded in a club somewhere in the United States, but we don't even have a, um, an actual location of where. On that uh, particular recording, Higgood Hardy was featured as the uh, vibraphonist. Drums were by Chief Bay and Rudy Collins. What a spectacular piece of music from Mr. Herbie Mann, an absolutely influential flautist who really did helped to change the entire scene of jazz throughout the decades. And it, I think it's fair to say that there's no single record from Mr. Mann that would really sum up his entire career as it was a 50-year span. But that record from 50 years ago was quite spectacular. His last appearance was May 3, 2003 at the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival, Two months later, he passed away on Canada Day, July 1st, 2003, the age of 73 years old. He had uh, long battled prostate cancer and succumbed to the disease, sadly. Struck so many men down. Seeing that this is Movember, and we are trying to raise money for prostate cancer, feel free to chip in somewhere or help somebody out. It's for the men in your life that you love and care about. Okay, off my high horse. Mr. Mann's career is, well, his musical styles have been often paralleled to that of Miles Davis. He would champion Brazilian music long before Stan Getz. Oftentimes people call it world music, which is, I, uh, I hate that moniker. I mean, really. What does it mean? What is world music? World music is music from other parts of the world that some old white record executive decided because it wasn't from North America. We'll call it world music. It's music, man. Period. Jazz, rock, country, soul, R&B, folk, western, whatever the case may be, it's music. Slapping world music on it is an insult to the artists from around the world who have spent their hard time and efforts to record such beautiful pieces. Well, I'm quite philosophical this evening. Let's get back to the music, shall we? So Mr. Herbie Mann, as I had stated earlier, was uh, born in Brooklyn, New York. May. I'm sorry, not May. When was he born? April. April of 1930, my goodness gracious. April, May, June, July, it's all springtime, right? And he was a very early pioneer of, of the fusion of jazz and, and folk music. He was uh, quite a skilled player, as I stated, but of course, he never failed to disappoint because he could play so many different styles. He was, um, he helped collaborate with the Stereo Lab on the uh, long-running AIDS Benefit CD uh, releases, Red Hot and 
Rio was the particular one he recorded with, but the Red Hot and series has long been funding, or, or sorry, raising funds for AIDS research around the world. I think the very first uh, Red Hot series started in about 1990, or perhaps 91. I still have that CD here somewhere. So, from Mr. Herbie Mann, we're going to move along to Mr. John Coltrane, the late great saxophonist who passed away in 1967. Died of cancer very young. He was only 40 years of age at the time, which is oh so sad because he was such a brilliant musician. Saxophonist, composer, bebop and heart bop stylist. He really did help to promote and was very much at the forefront of free jazz. He led about 50 recording sessions and appeared on, oh my goodness, countless numbers, numbers of albums by other musicians. He often worked with uh, Miles Davis and Thelonious Monk. He was the very definition of the word genius. So the recording you're about to hear is um, it's titled Blue World from the album Blue World which was only released in September of 2019. Now it was recorded in 1964 at the uh, Van Gelder Studios in Inglewood Cliffs, New Jersey between uh, the recording sessions of the album Crescent and the masterwork A Love Supreme which, let's face it, if you do love jazz, a love supreme should be in your collection. Now, the sessions for the, uh, that were, one of the sessions, I should say, that we're about to hear was recorded for the film Le Chat dans le Sac, which translated as The Cat in the Bag. It's a 1964 drama film by Gilles, Gilles Grou. It was, uh, a very important film that uh, played a, 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 quite literally a seminal role in the development of Quebec cinema. The film's uh, themes and improvisational style with um, a lot of handheld camera work and, you know, the evocative music that you're about to hear really did sort of um, signal the emergence of a, a new genre and generation of Quebec film and filmmakers. And I believe that uh, Denis Villeneuve is a product of that. Of course, I realize it's decades after, but the groundwork was laid in 1964. You can find the film online, if you wish. I believe it is um, in the archives of the Canadian National Film Board, but don't quote me on that. I would like to play for you uh, the title track from the album Blue World. This is Mr. John Coltrane from 1964. Thank you. 
Coltrane with Blue World from the album Blue World, released in 2019 and recorded in 1964. What a magnificent find. So, being that this is Songs and Stories, here's an interesting story about that album. So the music was recorded, as I said, for the uh, 1964 Québécois film Le Chat dans la Sac, The Cat in the Bag. So uh, director of the film, Gilles Crew, uh, was friends with uh, Jimmy Garrison. And he used that relationship to request songs for uh, John Coltrane's quartet to record for the film. So Gru traveled to the United States to attend the recording session for uh, what turned out to be John Coltrane's only soundtrack work. So Coltrane uh, recorded the music without ever actually informing his record label. And I guess after about uh, three or four hours in the studio, uh, Jules Gru just absconded with the master tapes back home to Montreal. I guess the director ended up shelving a a large part of the music, and uh, it was unreleased until 2019, when Impulse Records, John Coltrane's longtime label, decided to release it. There were some complications, because the release was delayed by a few years due to the fact that the National Film Board owned the rights to the... uh, master tapes, but Impulse had the right to release the album, so they did. It turns out that uh, an archivist for the National Film Board of Canada, um, when he was tasked with assembling Gilles Gru's work, the government agency just negotiated with Impulse Records to, to get the album released, because I guess... The archivist, as many archivists are that work for the National Film Board and the National Archives of Canada, are appreciators, lovers of music and art, and when they discover something that's been unreleased, they're thinking, the world needs to hear this. So whomever that individual was, I need to thank them. So thank you. National Film Board of Canada individual archivist who decided to help us hear that beautiful piece of music. So, today, as I'm looking through my list, it's every artist that we're playing today is deceased. And I, I just realized that now. It's one of those things when you start to assemble a playlist of music, you just... Put one artist down, another artist, and if the music blends together and it works in your head, you put it together. These playlists have never been done by design. Um, Occasionally I end up playing a lot of Canadian artists. It just happens to be what I feel is going to fit with what I'm feeling that particular day. And on this day, I'm choosing artists that were all absolute masters of their respective instrument and are all sadly no longer with us. The next composition I'm going to play for you is by the late great master of the keyboard. From the Rudy Van Gelder 
recording. This is the Thelonious Monk Trio with this selection, Blue Monk. Thank you. 
Thelonious Monk with his recording from 1952 or perhaps 1954. We're not entirely certain when the song was recorded. As the album uh, recording began in um, December of 52 and the rest of the sessions continued on right through to 1954 before the record was actually released. So, to pinpoint the exact point in time when that was recorded? Tough to say. However, that track, along with several other tracks, such as Round Midnight, Straight No Chaser, Ruby My Dear, In In Walked Bud, and Well You Needn't, are known as some of the absolute standards of modern jazz. If you are a jazz musician and you don't know or cannot play those songs, you need to change your course and learn them. He's the second most recorded jazz composer after Duke Ellington, which is somewhat ironic when you consider the fact that Monk didn't actually write a lot. I mean, he wrote a great number of compositions, but he didn't have anywhere near the output of many of his contemporary musicians. That being said, many of what he did write, many of the recordings he re-recorded several times, were reinterpreted by hundreds of musicians over the years. And as I just stated a moment ago, some of his songs are absolute jazz standards, and if you don't know them, they don't consider you to be a real jazz artist. In that sort of fraternity, if you will. I'm not an artist. I'm just a guy who speaks into the microphone and shares my love of music with you. Now, Thelonious Monk uh, passed away in 1982. I was not very familiar with his recordings at that age. I was only 14 when he died. Ironically, I was exposed to his music through, well, at the time, the number one rated television show in the 1980s by an individual, as it turns out, was not a good guy, but he did expose me to some brilliant jazz. One of those artists was Diana Krall. I'm not going to mention the name of the individual, but he was considered to be America's dad in the mid-1980s when he hosted a, uh, or I guess was the patriarch of the uh, most famous family sitcom on television at that time point. I think you know who I mean. He shall remain unnamed, but I am thankful for the music I was exposed to from him. Now, to finish off today, I'm going to play one of my favorite artists of all time. His statue is at the end of my street. I've talked about this before, and I'm I'm apt to do it again because I absolutely love his music. And if you love jazz... You love Oscar Peterson, the late great Canadian pianist out of Little Burgundy, Montreal, who, thankfully, I was exposed to at a very young age when he appeared on Sesame Street. He would often play the piano on Sesame Street and expose jazz music to young children. And, of course, being a Canadian at a time when Canadians really weren't that famous around the world, whenever we saw a a famous Canadian artist... We were always sort of 
well, our parents and tended to point those things out. That's Oscar Peterson. He's from Montreal. He's a Canadian, and he's one of the most famous jazz players in the world. You should learn about him. Learn about him I did. This recording is a live recording from 1986 from the album Oscar Peterson Live. This is The Box Suite Allegro.
unbelievable talent that was Oscar Peterson. Oopsie. <laughs> My apologies. So that was recorded in 1986, obviously very, very, very live. Of course, Oscar Peterson was, I mean, without question, an absolute genius player, and I miss him. I really do. Of course, in that particular recording, it was featuring Joe Pass on guitar, David Young, double bass player, and Martin Drew. Now, Joe Pass, from Los Angeles, California, he passed away in 1994, but he was recognized as one of the greatest jazz guitarists to have ever played. And he had quite literally recorded with anybody who was ever anybody in the jazz world. Now, Mr. Dave Young was from Winnipeg, Manitoba, a Canadian double bassist, and he used to play um, in a band with Lenny Bro. I featured Lenny Bro a few weeks back. Lenny Bro was the most revered jazz guitarist that has ever drawn breath. Sadly, he was, well, death is still mysterious circumstances, but we believe he was murdered. It's never been proven, but nevertheless, he's long since gone. Very sad, because he was a, a brilliant Canadian artist. Then, of course, on drums, uh, Mr. Martin Drew. He was originally from Northampton, England. He uh, passed away uh, ten years ago, in uh, July of uh, 2010. Uh, English jazz drummer. Uh, played a lot for about 20 years, I think, between 75 and 95, he played with Oscar Peterson. So, yeah, he, uh, oh, sorry, I'm sorry, my mistake, 74 to 2007, actually. So, uh, yeah, that was a very long haul with Mr. Peterson. Now, I, I, I have played that particular recording in the past, I think it was on show number five, but... I wanted to feature it again today because it still is mind-blowing to me that a jazz artist can take a classical piece by Johann Sebastian Bach, play all the classical notes as they were written, and still turn it into a jazz composition. I think only Oscar Peterson was capable of that. Then again, I could be wrong. Correct me if I am. Feel free to make a comment on the Mixcloud page. So that is the end of today's show. I hope you've enjoyed it. I ran a little bit over time. I like to try and keep the jazz show to around an hour. But I did have some longer compositions than normal today, so it's a little bit past the hour, but that's okay. You got an extra ten minutes. And it's all free anyway, right? Now, the reason I use the Mixcloud application, the artists, now in this case, each one of these artists have long since passed away. However, their estate still gets paid. You do understand that the copyright upon a composition remains in the artist's name for 70 years after their passing. So their relatives or heirs will receive money for each time you listen. So, to that, I, I urge you to subscribe to my Mixcloud page, as you'll have access to more content. 
And each time you listen, you're contributing to the welfare of the artist and their families. Okay, that's it. Take care. Until we meet again, my friends. Bye.